thank you to the tech team for being able to capture those those images. Those are from the snow this morning. So just beautiful in the way you, you guys did that. And and that, that's one of our, our beautiful and one of our most one of our most oldest one of our oldest Christmas carols. God rest you, merry gentlemen. It goes. It was written at least back in the 1500s, and maybe even earlier than that. We, we just don't know absolutely for sure. God rest you, merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. Remember, Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. You know, <clears throat> have you ever thought about this? That in Christ, throughout our, our lives, we all experience these, what you might call these rhythms of comfort and joy. Comfort in our fear, in our pain, in our sorrows, followed by joy. Many of you this morning could stand and share right now your, your own personal stories of many times in your life when you personally experienced great fear, great pain, sorrow, uh, such ongoing worry and concern that, that even as you perhaps experienced God's comfort, you still wondered, would you ever, would you ever be able to know joy again? And then you were taken by surprise when you did. You didn't see it coming, but joy did happen. Well, as we look at the, the Christmas <clears throat> stories this morning, you know, next to the person of Mary, and of course, obviously, the baby Jesus himself, uh, one of the most significant characters was Joseph, Jesus' earthly father. Now, we don't know a whole lot about him. Uh, he, the last time we read about him in, in the Gospels, early on in the Gospels, the Gospel of Luke, uh, Jesus was 12 years old. Tradition has it that Joseph died about the time that Jesus was perhaps 16, 18 years old. Again, we, we don't know a whole lot about him, but what we do know about him is that he was a very good man. Not a man of great means, but a man of great, great character. And yet he was also a man who certainly, who certainly experienced these rhythms of comfort and joy in his life. Perhaps maybe you remember the, the very first recorded occasion in Joseph's life when he needed a lot of comfort. The Gospel of Matthew tells us that Joseph and Mary were pledged to be married. Now, to us, that sounds like engagement, but their being pledged was, or sometimes referred to as betrothal, was a whole lot more involved in that. It was actually a legal arrangement for marriage. And then about a year later, followed the wedding ceremony and the consummation of the marriage. Again, it was a legal arrangement. Well, <clears throat> out of the blue, Mary comes to Joseph and, and says, Joseph, I, I, I have to talk to you. Joseph, I, Joseph, I, 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 I'm pregnant. Now, Joseph, I, I haven't been with anybody else. I, an angel came and told me that I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Back when I was in seminary, <clears throat> A good friend was in med school at the same time and invited me to come to a lecture sometime. Well, the lecture I happened to finally get around to showing up for was uh, on reproduction. <laughs> now, understand, I did not intentionally pick that one out. It just was the lecture of the day, okay? <laughs> 
And, uh, but what I remember specifically from that lecture was this professor who, uh, best I could tell, I, I wasn't sure if he was a believer or not. But, he, but after describing just how the, the enormous challenges for successful conception to take place, he wrapped it up with this statement. He said, it is a miracle that anybody ever gets pregnant. Now, that is God's miracle, obviously. But in Mary's case, it was a, a miracle upon a miracle. And Joseph responds pretty much how any of us guys would, right? <laughs> Mary... <laughs> There is absolutely no way I'm believing that. No way I'm believing that. I, I mean, if, by the way, if, I mean, if you ever talk to someone who struggles with believing in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, you can tell them that they are in good company because Joseph didn't believe it either. <laughs> well, his pain at this point is not the result of his unbelief. His main pain at this point is that the young lady that he was planning to marry, the young lady with, with whom he had always, he'd already been planning to so many, uh, develop so many future plans and hopes and dreams, the young lady whom he deeply loved, has now told him that she is pregnant and he knows that he had nothing with baking that cake. She has told him that she's pregnant. And so just imagine Joseph's heartbreak. Just imagine the pain over what appears to be apparent betrayal. Imagine the devastation. Imagine that pain probably being followed by intense anger. Well, because the pledge was a, a legal arrangement, it required a legal divorce to end it. And one of the reasons that we know that Joseph was such a good man is what Matthew tells us about how he came to his decision at this point. Verse 19 of chapter 1. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, if Joseph wanted to prevent people in the community from thinking that he was indeed the one who helped bake that cake, I mean, he had every right and could have disgraced her publicly. I mean, disgraced her before the entire community. But that's not what he wanted. That was not his heart. Again, a good man. And so Joseph decided to divorce her quietly and then try to go on with his life the best that he could at that point. Well, we don't know how long it was that Joseph continued to live in the midst of that pain and grief. It might have been 12 hours. It might have been later that night. It might have been 24. It might have been 40. It might have been a couple of weeks, a couple of months. But Matthew tells us in verse 20, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. <laughs> Joseph's unbelievable pain and hurt is now followed by this incredible good news. Joy. I mean, the, the opportunity to participate in God's plan to save the world. I'm surprised by a joy that there's no way that he could ever possibly begun to imagine this comfort and joy. Well, the second recorded occasion of Joseph's need for comfort was on the actual night that Jesus was born. 
Remember the, the Roman emperor Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman Empire, which required that every male head of household had to return to his hometown, which in Joseph's uh, situation was the little tiny town of Bethlehem. Again, very small, tiny little town. Now, this would have been bad timing at any point to have to do this, but for Mary and Joseph, it was particular bad timing because the baby was due. And sure enough, Luke tells us in chapter 2, verse 6, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, Spoiler alert here, okay? <laughs> you can plug your ears up if you want, if you don't want to hear this. But um, in every Christmas play, every children's Christmas play, especially that you've ever seen, one of your favorite moments was what? It was that moment when Mary and Joseph come up to the door, knock on the door of the inn, and the innkeeper comes and says, there's no room for you. In the middle, you know, middle innkeeper, there's no room for you in this place. <laughs> so they have to go off and they end up finding, you know, the barn and animals like that. Well, here's a spoiler. There probably was no inn. Therefore, there probably was no innkeeper. The word that Luke uses actually is translated correctly by the NIV there. There was no guest room available for them. See, Bethlehem was just too small to have a holiday inn, right? And so actually, the home that, that, that they come to, the guest room that they come to at this point to see if it's available, was very likely Joseph's childhood house. And the problem is, is that all of his siblings and their families are already there, and they've already packed into that room. There's no way that Mary could give birth in that kind of setting. And so there's only one option available. They go into what was uh, a, a would have been underneath the house, a, a cave that was used as a barn. In fact, even today in Bethlehem, you can go to where shepherds have homes that have been sort of loosely constructed on top of these caves into which they bring the sheep at night. Let me ask, can you feel even just a little bit of the pain that Joseph must have experienced at this point? Not being able to provide a better atmosphere and a better place for Mary to give birth? I mean, any good father would want to do that for his wife. You know, much less for his his wife is about to give birth to this one that God is going to use in such an amazing way. And their first crib for their child was a manger that was a food, a feeding trough for animals. And she's giving birth among, again, this place where there are animals and all the stuff that went along with animals. Again, any good father. Joseph wanted to provide more than that. That would be painful for any of us. His pain was his poverty. But what he could not even ever begin to see on the other side of this is that guess who was very likely on their way to see them? The wise men. The wise men, who were going to be bringing what? Joyful gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Many people think that frankincense and myrrh may have been, actually been more valuable than gold at that point in their culture. God was going to provide for all their needs through these amazing gifts. That was a joy that Joseph could not have ever seen coming. 
Well, next I want us to look at a verse that, quite honestly, we usually just kind of brush right past, but it, it's really significant. It involves pain for both Jesus <clears throat> and Joseph. Luke chapter 2, verse 29, the first part, he just simply says, on the eighth day when it was time to circumcise the child. Now, the Jewish custom, the, the law stated that, that circumcision for a little boy was to be, be performed on the eighth day after his birth. No anesthetic was to be used, which actually is often still the case today in the Jewish culture. It was the father who took the child for the circumcision and not the mother. In other words, the father knows that he is bringing his child to experience pain. The little boy is going to hurt. The little boy is going to bleed. In fact, listen to this present-day writing from the blog of an Orthodox Jew named Ellie Jessner as he describes his son's circumcision. He writes, I'm in the shower at 6 a.m. with a sick feeling in my gut. Today, my eight-year-old son is going to be circumcised. It feels really alien to inflict pain upon my son, to put him through the trauma of a minor procedure without anesthetic. Just call it off. Stop the whole thing, I find myself thinking. I put him on the chair. That is the chair where they, they place the child for the circumcision to take place for the procedure. I put him on the chair, and the prayers begin, and then there is blood, and there is screaming. I still feel sick as everyone comes to wish me mazel tov. I can't help but let them know that I am not happy about it, that I am seriously shaken up by what just happened. I mean, having to watch that pain inflicted on his son was painful for Joseph too, don't you think? But it is immediately followed by the joy of getting to name the child. That, that was the, what the, the father had that role in the culture at that time. And, and Joseph says, what? His name is Jesus. The second part of Luke 2, 21, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. That name Jesus means Yahweh or God saves. As the angel first told Jesus, uh, first told Joseph, he is named Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, Joseph didn't understand all that meant at this point, did he? He had no idea in that moment that this little baby was laying there bleeding and in pain, that one day this little baby, some 33 years later, was going to painfully shed his blood upon a cross for the salvation of the world. But the name reminded Joseph of what he did know, that this child was going to play a huge part in God's plan of, for salvation for the people. Again, and that brought him joy, comfort, and joy. You know, both joy and pain often happen unexpectedly, did they not? Well, certainly Joseph did not expect what happened when they then took, Joe, took Jesus to the temple for his dedication. Now, this didn't happen right on the heels of the circumcision. It happened 33 days after the child was born. And the child would be dedicated to God, and that would be followed by a sacrifice, which essentially was symbolic of buying the child back. Now, the sacrifice that was supposed to be uh, made was a lamb. 
And yet for those who were too poor to afford a lamb, you could offer two doves or pigeons, which is, in the, which is the case for Joseph. Luke chapter 2, verse 22. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, just like the baby dedications that we do here, this, this is supposed to be a joyful occasion, a joyful occasion. But then the unexpected happened. All of a sudden, as they're standing there in the temple, walks up this elder, probably elderly gentleman named Simeon. Simeon, uh, who knows how it happened, but somehow God had told him that, that he would be able to see the Messiah before he died, before he, Simeon, died. And he was also prompted by the Holy Spirit on that day to go to the temple where immediately Joseph and Mary and the baby capture his attention. Well, one of the things that Simeon tells Mary is this. He says that, this child is going to experience great tragedy in his life. And a sword will pierce your own soul. Now, imagine if you just brought your child to church for a baby dedication, and after the service, you know, some older gentleman, member of the church that you've never met before, you know, comes up to you and says, I have a word from God for you. This baby is going to die in an early age. I mean, what was supposed to be a joyful occasion, and suddenly there's a, a lot of cold water poured on it. A lot of sorrow suddenly. Well, surely this man doesn't know what he's talking about. Surely this is wrong. Surely he's got his wires crossed somehow, and you pray that it's just simply not true. In that moment, there was the need for comfort. But at the same time, there was joy. Because what else did Simeon say to him? In Luke 2, verse 32, Simeon told them that this child will be a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Comfort and joy. Well, let's look at just one more part of Joseph's story this morning. Matthew <clears throat> tells us that shortly after the visit of the wise men, an angel came to Joseph once again. Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod, that he was the King Herod at the time, Herod the Great, is going to search for the child to kill him. Now, this threat was very, very real. If you remember the story, it was probably just within a matter of hours of this warning from the angel that Herod sent his soldiers to the town of Bethlehem where they put to death every baby boy that was under the age of two. Now, when the wise man had arrived to see Mary and Joseph and the baby, I mean, just think about what an incredible spiritual mountain Joseph found himself on at that point. To only be suddenly now thrust down in a valley of great fear, having to literally run for their lives in the middle of the night. But in the midst of that fear, <laughs> the one thing that Joseph didn't have to be fearful of, didn't have to worry about, in spite of his poverty, is how he would finance that trip to Egypt, how he would finance that stay in Egypt. 
Because of what? The joyful gifts of the wise men. Cold, frankincense, and myrrh. Joseph was a man who knew many of the ways in which life brings sorrow, disappointment, fear, hurt, pain, the need for comfort. But on the backside of every one of those times, he also experienced joy. Now, let me ask you to think once again about your own life. What kind of pain and sorrows have you experienced in life? And as you look back on those times, can you not also see joy in Christ on the other side of those? When I look back on my own life as I did this past week to just a few of the significant painful events that I've experienced, when I was in college, I went through a terrible battle with a disease called ulcerative colitis, so bad that I couldn't return back to school after the spring semester of my junior year. Spent six weeks in the hospital, lost almost 40 pounds. Painful, not only physically, but mentally as well. I had my first bouts with depression at that time. But even though I didn't always see it at the time, in spite of the fact that I, I knew that I didn't know that God was with me, which is a Christmas truth, right? Emmanuel, God with us, God was with me. I knew that, but I didn't know joy over the pain. Well, during that time, I did have joy. I realized later that the experience of knowing God was with me, that was an experience of joy. I also knew the joy of renewing an old friendship from high school with, with a buddy of mine who was also back home that semester. I had the joy of receiving the, the love of my parents uh, who were incredibly supportive through it all. Time to have with them that, that otherwise I, I simply would not have had. A few years after that experience, I went through the pain of two broken engagements. Long story, don't have time to go there this morning. <laughs> but then there was joy. I would have never met Julie. I would have never had three wonderful, amazing daughters that I have. I wouldn't have ever had the three wonderful, amazing grandchildren that I have. Talk about joy. <laughs> I've also seen some painful ministry experience. Experiences that I would have never asked for. But even though I, I sure couldn't see it at the time, I would have never known the joy I had on the other side of those times of seeing God work in some amazing ways. I mean, out of one of those experiences, God brought a brand new ministry to, to pastors that we call CPR, Celebrate Pastors Recovery. Now friends, not for a minute, not for a minute, do I think God causes these painful things to happen in our lives? But what I do think, actually what I know, is that God does not waste any of them. Not a one of them. He does not waste any of our hurt, any of our pain. God invites us to trust him, to step forward in faith for what we cannot see. Again, that's what faith is all about. Hebrews 11 chapter 1 says, uh, chapter 11 verse 1 says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what? About what we do not see. 
We need faith and trust when we can't see how God is going to take the ashes of our hurts and pains and sorrows, and as the book of Isaiah promises us, to take those ashes, to exchange those ashes for beauty. Only by faith and trust can we see that joy is coming. You know, 2020 has been a year in which we have all shared in this mutual pain of this pandemic. It's been more painful for some than for others. Some have lost family members. Some have lost their health. Some have lost their jobs. All of us have lost the comfort of what we always took for granted, and that is normalcy in life. Now, with the vaccines, it seems like there's light at the end of the tunnel, but it's going to be a challenging while longer (laughs) before we get there. But you don't have to get there. You don't have to go through that. You don't have to continue going through that without knowing and experiencing joy. Joy is a mindset. It's a heart set that springs from a confident faith that in the end, God will have the final word. So look for joy. Jesus Christ will triumph over all evil, over all sin, over all hate, over all suffering, over all despair, and yes, even over death. The psalmist declares in Psalm 30 and verse 5, weeping may last through the night, but joy comes with the morning. So, God rest, ye merry gentlemen and ladies. Let nothing, let nothing you dismay. Jesus Christ, our Savior, has been born on Christmas Day. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Comfort and joy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that this joy we read about, sing about, and declare at Christmas time is a, an everlasting joy. It's not a temporary, breezy happiness, but it's something that can happen deep down in our lives. As we not only experience your presence, but as we also have the the opportunity to look back and see what you have done and be joyful because of it. Lord, I pray that you would bless each one listening to these words today with the joy of Jesus Christ. I pray this in his blessed name. Amen.